to serve the Lord. Amen. It's a privilege to live for him and to serve him. Amen. Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. And we do want to continue to pray for Sister Roxanne and her family. Her brother passed away yesterday and want to pray for Greg's wife and just pray for the, the family. I know it's never easy at time of loss, but there were some good things the Lord did. And so we're thankful for that. And we, we thank the Lord for that. And um, just be in prayer for that. And then um, we have all church prayer. This is uh, coming up next Monday night. Uh, please, again, I, I want all, I want it to be it's just as packed as it is here tonight for church prayer. Uh, we need to pray. We need to be a church that prays. We need to know how to touch heaven. We need to know how to how to uh, let the the pattern and the the will and the purpose of God in heaven uh, come to earth and 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 be, come through us as conduits of the Holy Ghost. And then on Sunday, uh, Brother uh, Pearson will be with us preaching on Sunday, and then also on June 13th, the following Sunday, Brother Narlock will be with us. And then on Friday, June 18th, the Ignite service here at 7 o'clock. That's open to everybody. Uh, but uh, Brother Starr will be preaching that and looking forward to that. Amen. Young men, would you guys, a couple of y'all, help me please pass these out. And uh, we want to ask Brother Aiden, it's his birthday today, let you just sit and relax and just enjoy your day. He's getting getting older today. And so I thank the Lord for Aiden. Amen. Maybe am I forgetting anything? If I was forgetting something, just make sure. Okay, my events coordinator says, I'm good to go. We're going to dig into the Word. Buckle in, because I'm endeavoring to get through two churches tonight, uh, not just so that we can complete them. That wasn't the purpose. I wanted to compare and contrast uh, the church at Philadelphia and the church at Laodicea. These are the end-time churches, and these are the last-day churches. And so I think it would be good if we can get through. And, and so if you can picture uh, off on the horizon, some mountain scenes, we're going to try to hit the peaks. I'm going to give you some notes on the valleys. You can go and you can dig into that on your own time. And it's rich. I tell you, you can. we have not exhausted all you can exhaust on the seven churches. There are numerous books and commentaries written on this. Dig into it. There's so much great, great treasure. Um, but we're going to start in Revelation chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 7 through 13 right now. And we're going to read about the church at Philadelphia. And to the angel, I'm reading in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee, because thou hast kept the word of my patience. I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. 
Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Church of Philadelphia here in verse 7, Philadelphia's brotherly love. It's the name that signifies the greatness of the church. And, and there is a, a church age that's represented by Philadelphia, a, a church that loves. We, we need to be a church that loves. We need to love one another. We need to love God and love people. We need to have a, a unity. We need to have a bond. And we need to let the anointing flow through a unified body of believers. And, and, and we want to be a Philadelphia church. And, and Smyrna and Philadelphia received no blame. And Sardis and Laodicea received no praise. I don't want to be a church that receives no praise from the Lord. I want to be a church that God has good things to say and that when he looks down, he begins to be well pleased in what we are offering him. And this is the era of great revival efforts. This is the era of expansion of missions. This is where the Holy Ghost was poured out once again. This is where people began to speak in tongues on a larger scale like the first church did. And this was a return to holiness and it was a return to, to godly living. And instead of following the traditions of men's, of men's teaching, they began to have a relationship with Jesus that regenerated their heart. Listen, you cannot have this walk with God that, that makes you um, try to abide by man's religious dogma with an unregenerate heart. Jesus wants to change your heart. He wants to regenerate your heart. He wants to give you peace, and he wants to enter into covenant with you. But there are stipulations into how to enter into that covenant. And so we have to understand that we're not just trying to change people on the outside. Jesus wants to change the inside. Oh, another old Sunday school song. Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. Thank God for Brother Sister Clark. I had a good time listening in today with Deborah underneath the palm tree, and J.L., and uh, Sisera. He had a chariot in there. Only Brother Clark can come up and make a chair on its side look like a chariot. I tell you what, that's, that's talent right there. That's, 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 that's anointing. I appreciate them and working with the kids. And, and so we, we want to have a change on the inside of our heart. And the gifts of the Spirit were being seen in operation. And this is that, that latter rain. Joel 2.23, Zechariah 10.1, James 5.7, you can read that. We are living in the last of the last days. Now, on the day of Pentecost, they're all falling out speaking in tongues. And all the crowd gathers around and say, well, these are just drunk people. And Peter gets out there and says, we're not drunk as you suppose. And then he goes on and says, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And he begins to quote the Old Testament. Joel, the prophet of God, began to prophesy about God pouring out his spirit upon all flesh and, and young men seeing visions and old men uh, uh, having dreams and, and, and daughters and handmaidens prophesying. And, and Joel talked about these things. And, and Peter was saying, this is that. In the last days, God promised to do something. Now tell me, please, 
Who's living in later days? Me or Peter? We are. We're living in more last of the last days than Peter was. So don't tell me that God's not going to pour out of his spirit upon all flesh. And don't tell me God doesn't want to save anybody any longer. And don't tell me the Holy Ghost isn't for the people around us any longer. Don't tell me it's only for the book of Acts. Because God said, in the last days, I'm going to pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. That's a promise of God. And if God promises it, you take it to the bank. You take it and you stand on that. And we are living in a day later. That Peter was. That ought to give us some excitement. That ought to give us some hope. That this message of salvation is still for us today. So don't let anybody rob you of a blessing and tell you that it's not necessary to get the Holy Ghost. Don't let anybody tell you, oh, that's not for us anymore. That's only for them in the book of Acts. That's not happening anymore. No, 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 my friend. It still happens. This is a church where it still happens. You, you, you Listen, if, if you are not a part of a church that's preaching Acts 2.38, plan of salvation, can I say this? I'm trying, I'm trying, Lord, rein it in. Lord, I don't, help me. The seven churches were churches that believed in born again of water and born again of spirit. You can't just call yourself a church because you put a cross on the steeple. You can't just put your uh, call yourself a church because you've got a, a, a little offering numbers on the side of the, of the deal. You can't call yourself a church just because you've got a wooden desk that you stand behind and you, and you give a, 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 a little uh, a lecture every once a week. The church is the ecclesia. It's the called out ones. It's the one that God's called out, and he calls us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. How does he do that? Through the new birth. You must be born again of water. You must be born again of spirit. And if you're not, you can't even see the kingdom of heaven. I feel like preaching tonight. The Lord introduces himself here as holy. Holiness is a direct antonym of sin. It means they're sinless. It means blameless. It means pure. Jesus is holy. We serve a holy God, and he wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit, and he wants to live inside of you. And without the Holy Spirit, you cannot be holy. But yet he's saying, be ye holy as I am holy. How does a, a wretch like me be holy? Oh, Jesus, come and live inside my heart. Bring your Holy Spirit into my heart so I can be holy like you. As a man, he was sinless, and he was pure. And as God, he was the Holy One of Israel. Some 100 times in the Old Testament, the Holy One of Israel. He is true. There is no falseness in God. There is no deception in God. There's no under-the-table deals with God. He lays it all out. Come ye. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. He's saying, I'm going ahead and laying all the cards. I'm laying it all on the table. I love you, and I want to save you, and I want to enter a covenant relationship with you. We do not serve a God that, that makes underhanded deals. Oh, I like this person a little better. I'll give him a better deal. No, no, no. He died for the entire world. John the Baptist saw him coming and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the whole world world we understand that jesus loves us and he's true he's true and he's holy and he goes on to say i have the key of david mm. the house of david 
was an eternal house. The house of David was going to be an eternal kingdom. Isaiah 9, 6, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Now, it's pretty interesting when you dig into that. Some say that back in ancient times, if you had the key to the city, it'd be a big old key. And you put it on your shoulder. And if you had the key to a city, you had all authority. And you had all rights. And, and you, you had all the final say. You had the key to the city. And the Lord's just saying, I've got the key of David. I'm the pinnacle of the eternal kingdom that's been talked about from days of old. And he's saying, I've got the key of David. And he goes, he opens and no man shuts. And he shuts and no man opens. And I was leaving the clinic this afternoon. And I told Jendi, I said, I love how God works. I said, what are we praying for and fasting for this week? She said, open doors. I said, guess what Philadelphia was, what God told Philadelphia Church. He said, I open up doors and no man can shut. And I shut doors and no man can open. I said, I didn't sit down and try to orchestrate that. I didn't sit down and try to plan that. It's just God moving in the direction and letting us know that he opens up doors for us and nobody can close them. He's just encouraging us that he's going to open up doors and there is not a demon in hell that's going to come by and close that door. There's not a, there's not a man, Brother Brian, that's going to come and close the door once God opens it. And then we're praying protection. God shuts some doors and once God shuts that door, there ain't a, there's not a man, there's not a devil in hell that's going to come up and pry open that door. It does not matter what you and I face. We serve a God that opens and closes, and nobody can do anything other than what he wants done, done. You have your faith resting in a God that knows the way that you take. God, you open that door. I ain't worried about it. I ain't worried about the wind coming and shutting it down. I'm not worried about the hinges falling off. I'm not worried about the, I'm not worried about anything. God, you open it. I'm going to trust you to walk through it. Oh, God is so good. It says, I know your works. Again, another church. He's seen what they're doing. Behold, I set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. Man, Jesus is interested in letting us know he is a God that opens doors. Man, I tell you, we just got to be in the business of looking for open doors. We just got to be in the business of saying, God, what door are you going to open? Let me walk by spirit and not by flesh. Let me not walk by sight, but let me walk by faith so that I can walk into a, a, a group of people. And it might be on the job. It might be paying from the gas at pump nine. It might be going to Walmart. And all of a sudden, whoa, that's an open door. God just opened up a door into somebody's heart. And God just opened up a door into somebody's life. And God has opened up a door that no man can shut. And he just wants somebody to walk through that door and just talk to that person. True faith always results in godly works. We said it last week. I say it again tonight. If you really have faith in God, you will live differently. True faith always results in godly works. And this kept them from repeating the error of the age of Sardis before them. But the Philadelphia church maintained a proper balance between the internal and external faith. They, they had a balance between the holiness of the heart and in practice, just practical living. So there always has to be a harmony between grace and faith and works. 
Grace and faith and works aren't meant to be at odds with each other. Grace and faith and works aren't meant to be in opposition or in competition with one another. But there's got to be a harmony. There's got to be a balance with these things in our life. So they kept his word. They obeyed his word. Listen. Samuel, 1 Samuel 15, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. God is more interested in your obedience. God is more interested in you just obeying. Sacrifice seems more glamorous. Oh, Look at how much I can give. Look at how much I can sacrifice. Look how much I can. And you can go the way of asceticism, and you can you can buffet your flesh, and you can do all these things. And, oh, look how spiritual I am. God is not so interested in the glamour of sacrifice as he is impressed by faithful obedience. You know what God's impressed by? Tuesday night church shower uppers. You know what God's impressed by? First Monday of the month. Prayers that pray every day, but come to corporate prayer once a month. You know what God's impressed by on Sunday morning when the family gets up and the kids get up? God's impressed by children that don't have to ask, are we going to church today? But God's impressed by a dad that will put some together some things in his home and say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. That's what impresses God. Just being faithful. Just being faithful. And so, because of their obedience, because of their faithfulness, that's why there was an open door. If every door in your life is closed, look at your faithfulness. Look at your obedience to the word of God. Now, this open door, there's a temporal part to it. There's an eternal part to it. This open door, temporally, is an open door into the harvest. Jesus said, look unto the fields that are white all ready to harvest. The temporal part of the open door. But there's also an eternal part to this. And this is the open door that he is going to open for us into heaven. And they have strength. And they have the strength to obey the word of God. And they had the strength to keep the name of Jesus in its proper perspective. And they had the strength to understand and keep the word of God. But listen, it says, you've not denied my name. Where did we see the name of Jesus beginning to be denied? We saw it when they began to say, oh, no more baptism in Jesus' name. The most obvious place where people deny the name is in baptism. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus. I was sitting with somebody one time, and I asked them to pray for the food. So did you please pray for the food? And they prayed for the food and had a good prayer, and I felt it would be safe to eat the food if they prayed for it. And in Jesus' name, I said, can I ask you a question? How, when you pray for somebody when they get married at your church, how do you pray in Jesus' name? When you go on a road trip and you pray for safety, how do you pray in Jesus' name? I said, then please tell me while you pray for your food in Jesus' name, and you pray for a holy union in Jesus' name. And you pray for a car trip across the country in Jesus' name. But when it comes to baptism, you don't baptize in Jesus' name. 
Can you please tell me why you would use some titles and please tell me why you would deny the name of Jesus when neither is there salvation in any other for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Why would you not baptize in Jesus' name? Whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of Jesus. And so there was this idea that that there was churches that would deny the name, but, but God tells Philadelphia, you didn't deny my name. Now listen to this. On the subject of whether the Trinitarian formula was ever used, listen to these quotes. No record of such use can be discovered in the Acts or the Epistles of the Apostles. The baptisms recorded in the New Testament after the day of Pentecost are administered in the name of Jesus Christ, Acts 2.38, into the name of the Lord Jesus, Acts 8.16, into Christ, Romans 6.3, Galatians 3.27. That's the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, Volume 1, page 396. That means if I'm baptized any other way rather than water immersion in the name of Jesus, I had to go outside the book to get it. If I go outside the book to get it, that means I had to add to the book or take away from the book. You want to know about the warning with that? Read the end of Revelation. That if you take away from the book, he's going to take your name out of the Lamb's book of life. If you add to the book, he's going to add to your life all the plagues that are written in the book. You don't want to add to nor take away from the word of God. And so we have this, this, this quote. And the formula used was, in the name of Jesus Christ or into the name of Jesus Christ or Lord Jesus, Interpreter's Dictionary of the Bible, 1962, Volume 1, page 351. One can conclude that the original form of words was into the name of Jesus Christ or the Lord Jesus, Hastings Dictionary of the Bible, 1898, Volume 1, page 241. The New Testament knows only baptism in the name of Jesus. The New Schaff Herzog Encyclopedia of Religious Knowledge, 1957, Volume 1, page 435. This is not just something we made up as a local assembly. This is not just something we made up and said, this sounds good. This is the apostles and prophets of Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. This is the message of salvation. And there's only one way to be baptized, and that's in the name of Jesus. Thank God. Persons were baptized at first. In the name of Jesus Christ or in the name of the Lord Jesus. Candy's Encyclopedia of Religions, 1970, page 53. I do not separate Christ from God any more than a voice from the speaker or a ray from the sun. Christ is in the Father as a voice from the speaker. He and the Father are one as the ray and the sun are one light. Michael Servetus, who was martyred by Luther and burned at a stake. Because Michael Servetus said, there's one God, and Jesus is the mighty God in Christ. Where did Michael Servetus go to get his revelation of the mighty God in Christ? He went right back to the book. He went right back to the word. He went right back to the entirety of the word of God, the word of God, which is forever settled in heaven. That's what he went back to. And guess what Philadelphia did? Guess what they did in Azusa? 
Guess what they did in the outpourings of the Holy Ghost in the early 1900s? They went back not to a commentator, not to a reformer, not to some uh, 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 a religious uh, person. They went back to the Word of God. Every promise in the Word of God is for you. If, 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 if you aren't enjoying the promises of God, it's just because you you're, you're not you're not you're not letting the Lord show it to you. If you can sit here and say, "Well, I just I just think baptism is an outward sign of an inward working." Please, I'm not being ugly. I really am not. But and I, people that say that, I'm, I'm, but I'm, I'm coming. What I'm what I'm upset about is the spirit behind them. It's not the people. But it's the spirit behind, the deception behind saying, oh, 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 the baptism is just an outward sign of an inner work. No, it's not. Baptism saves you. If you're not baptized, you're not born again of water. And if you're not born again of water, and if you're not born again of spirit, you cannot enter into heaven. Man, preacher, every time I come to church, you quote Acts 2.38. Man, preacher, every time I come to church, you talk about Jesus and Nicodemus. Yes, I do, because that's the open door into heaven. That's the open door that God wants to open in your life. And how cruel I would be if I didn't say there's an open door into heaven that Jesus opened up that no man can close. He is that door. You walk through him. You are baptized into him. You have the name applied to your life. You walk in him, and he will give you an eternal reward. Verse 9, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do I. I'll make them to come and worship before their feet and know that I have loved them. This is resurgence of missions. Paul was a missionary, but we saw the missions minus was lost throughout the ages. And so here in this last day's church, mission-mindedness is restored and renewed. It was said that what, what, what brought down the Berlin Wall, it was said that what caused that to happen was the knowledge of the truth telling people there is a better way. So what tears down walls in people's life today? Telling them the truth and the knowledge of the truth that there is a better way for their life. They don't have to wander in sin any longer. They don't have to wander in anxiety and depression and fear and addiction any longer. There is a better way. So there's a missions-mindedness. We are to go into all the world. Now, we can only be here tonight. We're in Mandan tonight. But there's lost people all over the globe. But thank God we can go in our giving. We can go with our support. Just talking to uh, Brother brother Yume, texted him a couple days. He texted me a couple days ago and uh, just you know said, we're praying for him. And he's going to go back to Ireland. I've been listening to a, a missionary, Brother Lambeth, from, from Brazil. I've been praying for Brother Lambeth in Brazil and, and, and just praying for our missionaries. We're going to have Brother Trailer from Russia. He's going to be sp- preaching at the Grafton campground in um, uh, when Grafton campground is. Look at the, at the, at the sign out front. Uh, but all these things, it's June 1st. I... <laughs> I can only keep so much in my head right now. Dates aren't there. But we got to know the truth. And because thou hast kept the word of my patience, 
I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. The second part of this promise is the catching away of his church. God promised the Philadelphia church, you're not going to be a part of the hour of temptation. Now, I apologize. Your notes are wrong. I caught this error like coming out of my office. So the hour, so you have two slides that are identical. I apologize. Um, but the hour is a certain or a definite period of time. And the temptation is the testing and trying of the man by God. This is a very definite reference to the time of Jacob's trouble or to the great tribulation. I'm thankful that this is going to come on all the world, but not Philadelphia. Philadelphia church won't be here. The Lord's going to keep them from the hour of temptation. He's going to pull them out of this. We're going to miss this. There's going to be an unprecedented global catastrophe, and it will affect every single human being on the planet. The world is going to know the tribulations come upon them. This idea, preterist will teach that the, the, this has already come to pass, that this has already happened. No, 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 no. No. We've had tribulation. We've had trial. But we've not had the day of Jacob's troubles, and the entire world will know they're going through the wrath of God. Not Philadelphia, because he's going to keep them from the temptation. Next week, we're going to talk about the rapture. Oh, I'm looking forward to that day. It's going to be here. Verse 11, behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. He is coming quickly. He is coming without delay. You can't lose your crown right here at the finish line. You, you've come too far. I told somebody, maybe I told the church, I can't remember. But I said, I feel like we've got the baton on the final leg of the relay race. There's nobody else to pass it off to. There's nobody else to hand the baton to. This is the generation upon the whom the ends of the world have come. This is it. Don't lose your crown here. Don't, don't give up now. Don't, don't go through all the trials and all the tribulations and come out with victorious only to lose your crown now. Just hang on and be victorious yet a little while. It's going to be just a little while longer. And so he wants to make sure that we don't lose our crown. This lets us understand that there is no predestination. The doctrine of predestination, that some are born, and they're going to be damned to hell from the moment of their birth is not biblical. That's a hopeless doctrine right there. And that did not come from the word of God. This idea that God has some that he's chosen, some, God, some that God has not known God, has, it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What is the player between me coming to God? It's repentance. What's the player between me coming to repentance? My will. Will I come to the Lord and repent of my sin? Will I acknowledge him as my Lord and Savior and my need for him? If I do and I obey him and I have faith to obey and I obey the word of God, and I'm born again of water and spirit, I can make sure that I'm given a crown, but I can also lose my crown. So the doctrine of once saved, always saved, of eternal security, that's not biblical either. You can lose your crown. But listen here, folks. If you don't want to live this, God's got somebody waiting in the wings that wants this message, that wants this plan of salvation, that wants this life of holiness and separation. He just gives a crown. Don't let anybody take your crown. 
we can make our calling and election sure so at that crucial moment we do not fail at second peter chapter one we can work out our salvation with fear and trembling now we understand him that overcometh while i make a pillar in the temple of my god he shall go no more out i will write upon him the name of my god and the name of the city of my god which is the new jerusalem which cometh down out of heaven from my god and i'll write upon him my new name i don't have time to get into the verbiage on this slide i put it here it's brother treats commentary it's very 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 good but when you understand the phrase to theomo it's very important for us to understand there's one god this verse here foreshadows the descriptions of new jerusalem that it comes in the later chapters of revelation and there's going to be no temple in the new Jerusalem. I saw no temple therein for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. The temple is going to be made up not of natural pillars. The temple is going to be made up of spiritual pillars. And at this time, when they are a pillar, God's saying, there's no, no listen, when you cross into the pearly gates and you get on the streets of gold and that last trump sounds and the dead in Christ rise first and we're called up to meet him in the air, you are a pillar, and there's no risk of you any longer being lost, and there's no more trial, and there's no more struggle. That's the end of it, and he's going to put everybody uh, into that into that place, and that pillar, into that, in that structure of that temple of the new Jerusalem, and it's his blood that redeems every soul, and it's his blood that, that, that we wear as a mark upon ourselves, and, and so where is this idea of writing a new name? This is tied into baptism in Jesus' name. If you reject the name of Jesus, it's synonymous to rejecting God. You cannot disassociate the name. So we have to understand that this name. Now, what's really interesting, he tells Philadelphia, I'm going to write upon you my new name. Now we know that Jesus, the power of that name, but just like in the Old Testament where there were progressive revelations, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Sitkanu, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord revealed himself in different ways. Jesus is just going to continue to reveal himself to us in greater ways, in deeper ways. We're never going to reach the, the depths of his riches. Can you imagine for all eternity the Lord coming up and saying, hey, i got something new to tell you. Year 16,389,472. Jesus walks, hey, guys, come here, gather around. That's something new I want to tell you. When the sparrows got that stainless steel ball the size of the globe down to the size of a little BB, Jesus said, hey, come here, 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 come here. I got something new to tell you. I got something new to show you. I want to go to heaven so bad. I want to keep my eyes on heaven. I want to, I want to myself, I want to tell myself, self, this world isn't your home. Don't get too comfortable here. Don't get caught up in the success of this life. Don't get caught up in the sorrows of this life. Don't get too caught up in all the, all, all the petty things of this life because this is not our home. We're just pilgrims passing through and we have a hope. Now I tell you, the force of my claim and the force of his claim in my life means something. When I claim my intention, my claim to him declares my intention to adhere closely to him and to serve him and to forsake everything else to live for him. 
his claim upon me. Yes, he claims me as his own, shelters me from all the powers that are enmity with my salvation, all the things that would try to come in and close the door. God said, no, 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 you can't close this door because he's in my protection. He's, he's claimed by me. We're in relationship with each other. He's choosing to live within the boundaries that I've established. And, and so you can't close the door here. Shows that he's not ashamed to call me brothers in Hebrews 2.11. It grants the inheritance which has been promised. These are all things with the claim. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. We need to hear what the Lord is saying. Now, I hasten on. We're going to go through Laodicea. Begin and read verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of Laodiceans, write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou work cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne he that hath an ear let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches Laodicea was a city this is representation of a last day church, and it's a church that was ruled by the people. It was a, man, this is a buzzword right now. We got to be a, a seeker sensitive church. You got to make sure that if you're going to start a church, you got to have a coffee bar. And if you're going to have a coffee bar, you got to do a survey, not of who's hungry for Jesus, but what kind of brew do you like best? What kind of bean do you like? Do you like dark roast? Do you like medium roast? Do you like light roast? Maybe you like decaf. we got to have a coffee bar because we got to be secret sensitive because we got to just make it very comfortable for people to come to church. We, we got to make it, you know, people don't like to come to a church building any longer. And they don't like to see a preacher wear a suit and tie. They don't like to see a wooden, oh, I love a wooden desk. Ezra talked behind a wooden desk and began to read out the law of God. And God moved upon the people of Israel. But I tell you, there's something we don't like that anymore. So let's go ahead and get the torn jeans and the t-shirt and a little stool and a little bottle of water. And just make it real comfortable for everybody so we don't offend anybody. We got to be seekers sensitive we got to be ruled by the people people got itching ears and they keep coming in and putting surveys in oh if the kids area had a better slide i'd go to church there if the if the if the uh, barista could make my espresso extra hot i'd go to church there and we have a seeker sensitive mentality we have laodicea here in the last days they were specialized in their fine black wool that they spun in Laodicea. And they manufactured a special Phrygian eye balm that was used in the medical centers of the city. And they quickly became influential and wealthy 
Now hear me. Most commentators agree. We know Laodicea was wealthy. They had an earthquake. I, I, I don't remember the year. They had an earthquake in uh, uh, AD 60. And this earthquake came and destroyed the region. And Rome steps in and says, we're going to help you rebuild. Laodicea said, don't worry about it. We've got the money in the bank. Build it. We'll build it faster than you can get the money to us. They were rich. But most commentators agree that Philadelphia was also rich. But Laodicea got rich by worldly wealth and worldly pursuits and worldly things. Whereas Philadelphia, a church that pleased God, worked on God's financial plan. You know what God's financial plan is? Tithes and offering. Philadelphia was blessed. Philadelphia was rich. Philadelphia just had tithes and offering. They were rich. But here's Laodicea. So wealthy. So, so, so prosperous. Man, got churches. They're not just, they're not rentals. But donated carpet squares. They're campuses. They're campuses. Million dollars, millions upon millions. And they've got, but let's, let me tell you. Give me some old carpet. Give me a rented building. As long as the church, the Lord steps in and says, this is a church I can call out. This is a church I can save from the hour of temptation. This is a church I'm well pleased with. This is a church. I, I want to be a church that God is pleased in. And he comes to Laodicea, and the city was so wealthy, and he introduces himself to them and says, you know what? I'm the amen. I'm the beginning and the ending. I'm the introduction and I'm the conclusion. I'm the God of truth and I'm stepping into the witness stand as, as, a, as the ultimate witness. There will not be a cross-examination when I'm done testifying against you, Laodicea, because I'm the amen. And once I speak it, it's done. Once I give testimony, it's done. Once I give witness, it's done. There's nobody going to come and say, let me give you my, let me give you my viewpoint. Oh, but God, maybe, maybe you didn't see it this way. We're talking about the God of the universe who's omnipresent, who's omniscient, who sees all. And he begins to look at Laodicea and he steps into the witness stand of this church and begins to talk to them. He says, I know your works. You're not cold and you're not hot. I'd rather you be cold. I'd rather you be hot. I want you to make up your mind what you are. But see, Laodicea was at the bottom of this triangle of cities. Hierapolis was over here. And it was known for their hot spring baths. Oh, you'd go into the hot spring baths after a long day at work or a long day. I heard a couple of guys talk about golfing. Somebody saying they're sore. A long day. Was that you, Brother Trent? Was out golfing? A long day trying to push that three-wheeler around. You'd just go dip into that hot springs of Hierapolis and be like, oh, that soothes my aching back. Oh, that feels so good. And people would go there. Oh, I got a little bit of arthritis in my, in my disc golf shoulder. I got to get down into the get down into the hot springs and they'd get there and it would be therapeutic for them. And the other, other, and so the hot springs would, would run down to Laodicea, toward Laodicea. 
And the Colossi was known for their ice-cold mountain water. Man, you'd get done, boys, and you'd get done mowing the lawn, get done with an airsoft battle. I'm so thirsty. Oh, I just love some ice-cold water from Colossae, and you drink that. Oh, it just satisfies my thirst. And, and so the Laodiceans were like, we're so wealthy, and we're so rich. Why don't we just pipe in the hot water? And why don't we just pipe in the ice-cold water? Why don't we just make it so we can go to our bathtub and turn on the Hierapolis uh, hot springs, and when we're thirsty, we'll go to the kitchen sink, and we'll just turn on the Colossae ice-cold water. And so they used all their, their wealth and they used all of their, their own mentality and they used all their own way of thinking and they began to try to tap into hot and they began to try to tap into cold and they tried to do it their own way with their own man-made ways and their own man-made aqueducts and their own man-made pipelines. And when it got to Laodicea, the hot water wasn't hot any longer. It was lukewarm. The cold water wasn't cold anymore it was lukewarm because they had tried to do things their own way they became useless to god i'd rather you be hot or cold at least either way you'd be the refreshment to somebody but you're neither and you're lukewarm and so doctors could use a lukewarm and say oh you got a stomach bug buddy here drink some lukewarm water begin to vomit oh you got that noxious weed here here's some lukewarm water i'll induce vomiting with that and jesus said because you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Laodicea, so, so blessed. All the conveniences, all of the, the best sound system, the most talented musicians, the best instruments, the fog machine, the lights. The people won't go to church, but they'll go to a concert. Let's go ahead and pipe in some uh, of the world, and let's just bring it in on this, and, and let's just create something. Let's create an environment, and the environment is a lukewarm environment that God cannot use, and God say, I'd rather it be hot, or I'd rather it be cold. I'd rather you bring refreshing to the sinner, but you're not. You're lukewarm, and I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. That's a warning. That is a warning. So these things were unacceptable to God. These things God was displeased with. Because you say I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. They thought they had everything. I'm walking in my designer jeans. I'm walking in my designer shoes. There's some guy who's written a book. He's got this, this Instagram account talking about all these prosperity teaching uh, um, um, uh, carnal false, false prophets. You know, the name it and claim it and blab it and grab it, prosperity doctrine. And he's, it's preachers and sneakers. He's talking about some of these guys got like $4,000 sneakers on. Let me tell you, these are just... Uh, I don't even know Clarks. I don't have Clarks. Uh, Clarks, do you make expensive shoes? You know what I'm saying? They need to be shined up a little bit. But they do these things, and they walk in, and they walk in into their massive, massive cathedral, and they go past their 
private barista and they they get their coffee from their $15,000 espresso machine and they go and they take it into the sanctuary because, I mean, people, they got to have coffee in church. We don't allow food and drinks and candy and snacks in here. This is the this is the house of God. Yes, I know you just walk through an open area, but this is the sanctuary of God. This is a place where God is exalted. This is a place where God is praised and we revere that. And, and so they come in and they just have all these things and all their great wealth. And look at me, I'm rich. Look at me, I'm increased in goods. And look at me, God's blessing. God's blessing. Surely God must be happy with me. Don't look at your riches as a blessing from God. Don't look at your, let me rephrase that. Don't look at your riches as approval from God. Don't look at your rental as disapproval from God. Look at your doctrine. Look at your doctrine. You want to know if God's pleased with you? Look at your doctrine. You know, God's displeased with you. Look at your doctrine. And so the Laodiceans thought they had everything. The Lord says, I see how you really are. You're wretched. You're miserable. You're poor. You're blind. You're naked. And they're sitting here saying, all, all we should do is just try to have an affluent church. And let's be secret sensitive. And let's be church driven. Let's get people come so they feel uncomfortable. And we get them here. We'll play a little patty cake service. Listen, it just irrit- it, oh, it irritates me. This irritates me. Let me step out and just be a little carnal for just a second. You know what irritates me? Churches that have four services a day, and they say they're all identical. You can have four performances. I can go to a play, like a high school play, and have four performances that are the same. But you can't have individuals with different levels of faith and different needs and have a God that comes in and says, well, I'm just going to do the exact same thing in this service that I did last service. But we try to market God and we try to package God up into some little thing and we just try to be all prim and proper. I'm so far out of being politically correct right now, but I don't care. It's the word of God. And we come sitting here to be so proper and so prim. And, and if you want to accept the Lord as your personal Savior, now you can come. And if you don't want to come, that's okay. But if you want to come, you can come. But if you don't want to, don't, don't do anything you don't want to do. Jesus is saying, you're, you're, you're poor. You gloat in your great wealth, but you're poor. And, and, and you, you produce a, a healing eye salve, but you're blind. And you're known for your wool, but you're, you're naked. And the very things that you're known for, you don't even have. You're sitting here trying to offer things. And, and the saddest thing about Laodicea, the saddest thing, the most frightening thing, they didn't even see it. God help me to never drift into Laodicean spirit and not even know. To not even know that that's where I'm at. To sit in self-satisfied contentment and be like, well, we've arrived. You know, we've got us four and no more. This is pretty good. Things are pretty comfy, cozy. Oh, God help us. I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire. He's saying, you think you're rich. You've got gold. Laodicea, you've got gold. You rebuilt your city. But I'm telling you, come counsel with me. You come talk to me. 
and I'm going to give you gold that's been tried in the fire. I'm going to give you gold that's been purified. I'm going to give you something. And what Jesus is telling Laodicea, you got to purge out the worldliness, and you got to purge out the carnality. Listen, there are things that we preach against in this church. Why? Because we just want to be a bump on a log? No, because if we have carnality and worldliness in our heart, it's going to cause us to be Laodicean. We cannot have that. we got to be Philadelphia. So he's telling them, you got to be purified. And his gold was better than their gold. And they're consumed with earthly matters. And they got caught up in pursuing uh, physical wealth. And in the process of this, they became spiritually poor. And they became destitute. And they got more concerned with physical comfort than winning souls. And, and they got away from holiness and separation. That's why he's talking about the shame of their nakedness. He's talking about clothing them. They began to just say, oh, listen, man, you guys preach it too hard. And you require too much that, that holiness message is, is so archaic and that that separation message is so archaic listen we need to look like the world we need to talk like the world we can't get the guys coming in unless i choose to go ahead and put the big gauges in my ear and the big studs in my cartilage and go ahead and pierce my nose so i can be hip and, and go ahead and maybe a tattoo or two or three or four might be good make me a little bit more uh uh, uh relevant to society The Lord's saying, you're offering everybody else a product of ISAV. Oh, come, come meet Jesus. Come meet Jesus. Come meet Jesus. It's the product we have. But when they get there, it's lukewarm. It's not hot or cold. You're blinded. You don't even, you don't even, you don't even have the very thing that you're pr- trying to profiteer off of. You, you don't even have the, the very thing that you're telling people to come and get. Come to my house tonight. All you can eat ribs, Seth Check's house, 10 o'clock. Brother Bass is going to come to my house. He's going to have his best bib on. He's southern. He knows how to eat ribs. Man, you're not eating barbecue if you ain't got none on you, right? He comes to my house, and I've offered, and I've offered, and guess what? I don't even have ribs. I'm promising something I don't even have. That's the irony of this thing. As many as I love, I rebuke and chase and be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into him and sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh, I'll grant to sit with me in my throne, even also as I also overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. Now, before anybody says, oh, there's, there's two thrones here, what John already, already established this. How many thrones did he see in Revelation chapter 4? We haven't gotten there yet. How many did he see on the throne? One throne and one seated on that throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear. Not going to get into the, the door at knock, but as we stand tonight, it's, and musicians, please do come. And the, the door knocking, I use a scripture a lot. We use a scripture a lot in Pentecost. And, but the reality and the sad thing is that scripture is written to a church that pushed God outside of the walls of the church and said, we got this. We know how to fabricate a move. We know how to fabricate and to 
put the right songs in just the right order, you know, man, you want to get people really just, just hit that minor key and you know, play something soft and kind of weepy when you show like kids from Africa, that'll get their emotions stirred. We, we know how to, how to clap just right. We, we know how to do all these things. And Jesus is standing outside saying, Later, see, I'm knocking at the door. We need to pray. This week we're praying for open doors. We need to pray for open doors. Because there are churches of Laodicea here in Bismarck and Mandan that are just thinking we're just going to do this and it's empty and they're offering lukewarm gospel. And pray that God will reveal himself as a mighty God in Christ and pray that they'll hear the sound of Jesus knocking. But what we also need to do is say, Jesus, I want to be a part of a Philadelphia church. I want to be a part of a church that you're pleased with. I want to be a part of a church that you take pleasure in. And Lord, I don't want, listen, listen. In conclusion of this entire seven churches, here's what you need to take away from this. You have to endeavor to hear the voice of God and to obey the voice of God. If God speaks something to you and God reveals something to you, you need to listen to it and obey it. You got to reject We must never reject the name of Jesus, but we have to reject the opposition to the name of Jesus. We have to not listen to the opposition that we can compromise. We have to do all in the name of Jesus. We cannot neglect the new birth. We cannot change the message to appeal to the masses. We can't let go of holiness and separation. We still have to preach a message of come out and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. We still got to have that message. And if we ever go astray, we have to make sure that we repent and we get back to our first love with Jesus and that we love him with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength. Next week, the rapture. I put that on there like that on purpose. Sight and Sound Theater said, Jesus, coming 2020. (laughs) next week could be the rapture I want to be ready and the church that he promised to save from the hour of temptation is the Philadelphia church we're going to sing this song and we're just going to allow the Lord to talk to our hearts he that hath an ear let him hear what the spirit is saying in the church and we're just going to close out this final, final lesson of the seven churches You can pray in your pew. You can come to the front. We're just going to ask the Lord, Lord, help us to be the Philadelphia church. Help us, Lord, to be pleasing to you. Let's sing. Let's sing.